0: Diving into data. Diving, di- diving, d- d- data. Diving into data with TC Riley. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to
1: the inaugural live episode of Diving into Data. I'm Tyler Kern, TC Riley is here. Hey, TC. Hey,
0: Tyler. How you doing, sir? I'm
1: good, man. I'm good. How are things?
0: They're good. They're uh, they're live today. This is exciting. It's, this isn't. Uh, kind of messes me up, though. I can't screw up a bunch of stuff and have you edit it out later. We're live, so. That never happens
1: anyway, so uh, <laughs> nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know, TC. Well, thanks for being here. This is something we're going to do on a regular basis now, probably every Wednesday. Go live, or maybe every other Wednesday. We'll see. Go live with Diving Into Data, and this is going to be a show where we really explore the impact that data and information and analytics is having on the greater world around us. So we'll look at some news stories, we'll look at sports, we'll look at a big topic and just kind of explain some various uh, ways that data is having an impact on our everyday lives. And so it's going to be really exciting. TC, just kind of give people a a general idea beyond what I just said uh, of some of the things we're going to talk about on the show. Yeah,
0: as you said, uh, this is not a data show necessarily. This isn't meant to be a let me, you know, give you a half hour lecture on analytics. That's not we're doing here. What we're really looking at is we're looking at current topics. We're looking at things that frankly, you and I are probably already looking at anyway, all the folks listening, probably already reading up on, on, you know, your favorite news app, whatever it may be. All I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you to look at those things in a little bit of a different angle. Use some of the data that's out there, maybe tap into some of the resources you're not currently using. Um, Don't just trust what that one guy on that one news site wrote. Let's go look at the numbers and see what they actually say behind these topics. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we're going to be doing, and we're going to have some fun doing it, too.
1: And part of having fun doing it is talking about things that TC and I care a lot about, mainly uh, sports. Oh, yeah. And So uh, today we're going to start off by launching into our first topic, and the first topic today is going to be baseball. And In Major League Baseball, the playoffs are going on right now, and one of the interesting things is that it's begun to come out where not just uh, analytics and kind of stat heads, but also teams are starting to complain, saying it seems like the baseball being used... Yeah, it's different. And now to set up part of the backstory, there have been conversations and a lot of analysis over the last several years suggesting that Major League Baseball was using a different baseball to enhance home runs to increase scoring. And it all seems to be based around the new commissioner Rob Manfred, who really wants to emphasize an exciting game emphasize offense. Okay, so all of that is the backdrop for this where a record number of home runs were hit throughout the course of the regular season, but that is not happening in the postseason. TC, take it away. What the heck is going on?
0: Yeah. And the, you set it up real well there, but yeah, what we've seen over the last few years is, um, frankly, a rise that was only paralleled by, um, kind of the beginning of the steroid era. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, we, you know, it, last time I checked the PED policy still in place. So that shouldn't be a thing. Something
1: um, is juiced and It might yeah, not be the players. That's exactly
0: it. It's not, uh, it's not the needle. It's the ball. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Uh, Again, the MLB has uh, held pretty firm here that, nope, we've done nothing. This is all a non-story. Okay, sure, guys, we'll we'll, we'll go with it. The numbers say otherwise. As you mentioned, this regular season especially, it's it's been creeping this way for a few years, but this season we saw an explosion, especially of home runs, Mm -hmm. in a way that – um is frankly again from an analytics perspective is not just a natural you know occurrence there's something that's kind of an outlier here um six thousand six thousand seven hundred seventy six home runs mlb record 307 by the twins record for a team 14 different franchises 14 out of 30 set a franchise records for home run this year i'm sorry but when almost half of your teams are setting franchise records for home runs something something smells a little fishy there yeah um And so all of this has kind of led us that that's a whole nother topic for the regular season. And is something going on is something, you know, what's, what's the deal? Okay, well, um, well, at least, hey, it'll make some exciting playoff baseball, right? We're going to see lots of long balls. We're going to, uh, we've are going got some great series. Um, when the games matter the most, we're exactly. going to see lots of balls flying out of the stadium. It's exactly. going to be awesome.
1: It's going to be 10 to 9 every night, and everybody's going to fall in love with baseball again.
0: Wait. Oh, wait, no, that, that that hasn't happened, though. <laughs> that's, and that's what we're talking about here today. Uh, um, what we've actually seen, so, and I got a couple numbers. CBS Sports provided a lot of these. Um, ironically enough, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals were one of the first organizations that kind of stuck their hands up and said, hey, got some data that this looks a little odd yeah um we uh, apologies to cardinals fans after last night wasn't the best in but hey uh, nothing wrong with making it to the nlcs yes. yes. uh, hold your head high there yeah um what we've seen and again th- this might be a, a couple games old at this point but um, we're averaging 1.39 homers a game in the regular season dropping to 1.24 in the postseason um that that's a significant drop off more than 10 percent drop in something like this is not uh, that's probably not just, you know, an expected outlier. That seems pretty extreme. Right. Um, also led to a, a run drop, a total run score drop of about uh, 20%, give or take, in the postseason. Um, realistically, if you were to take how many runs are being scored in this postseason and extrapolate those over a regular season, we haven't seen numbers like that since the 1970s in terms of a lack of offense. So cool. we're, we're, we're dipping back, you know, half a century there. That That's – that's something's weird here. Um so one of the things people have been asking is, okay, well, numbers are down and yes, uh, post-season baseball, yes, there are better pitchers. Yes, the weather gets a little colder. Um, of note, I should mention a lot of these numbers, um, there's only been a handful of games that have actually been what I would consider cold weather, you know, post-season games yeah. um, had some unseasonably warm temperatures. So I don't know if we can point to that, but regardless, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a tail slide here, a little uh, step back. Um, of home runs just based on the, the nature of the playoffs the talent of the pitchers and all but um, Robert Arthur over at baseball prospectus actually did a little analysis and actually found that, um, the actual drag on the baseball, which, um, in most, the most basic term is how difficult is it for the baseball to fly through the air? How much does air resistance kind of knock the ball down for lack of a term? This is what I'm
1: particularly interested in. Yeah.
0: Um, he looked through this and there is a statistically significant difference in the way the ball is flying in the postseason as it did to the regular season. Now, Tyler, how could that be if, as the MLB says, not only have they never been juicing the baseballs, they've never been doing anything of that, but they definitely didn't then change something for the playoffs. Um, that's, that's, that's a little odd. There's um,
1: something very odd about that.
0: And I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I wish I remember the source I found this, but I actually saw someone, uh, something posted a couple days ago. Someone found a scenario. I believe it was one of Soto's home runs for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were looking at it, the exit velocity, the launch angle and the conditions um, comparing a home run that he hit in the playoffs versus one that he, or I'm sorry, a ball he hit in the playoffs versus a home run he hit in the regular season, the exit velocity was a tenth of a mile an hour different. Exact same launch angle, and um, what I would consider just about equal conditions: temperature, wind, humidity, all those things very, very similar. Right. That same ball that traveled, I think, it was like 420 in the regular season, easily made it out of the park. Didn't even make it to the warning track in the postseason. Like I think it was just under like 380. And so again, one of the things we've, we've kind of touched in the past in some of the podcasts about these cool advanced stats, again, things like, um, exit, velocity, launch angle that are becoming a huge piece. Right. Um, those are great because they typically tell you, you know, Hey, this is exactly why this thing happened. This is why this guy hit a really high fly ball compared to a home run. But what are we seeing when those numbers almost parallel each other in every way, except that the, diff- um, you know, the result is different. The result is 50 feet of difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, we've eliminated, uh, you know, the 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 player probably aspect of it, the launch angle stuff. We've eliminated conditions, you know, reasonably at this point. What's left except that little round thing that they uh, like to play with there? It's it's, again, it's weird. I'm not saying I have answers. I'm not accusing the MLB of anything necessarily. I'm just saying that what has been a perception all year, maybe even for a couple years, that something weird is going on. Yeah, the numbers continue to support, and perhaps even more so that something is going on. If this truly has been a consistent, you know, batch of balls that nothing has changed on, why are we seeing these fluctuations and outliers? Um, and it does actually, it gives us one of the other little things, uh, Tyler and I've talked about doing is let's do a data topic or I'm sorry, a data word of the week or a phrase of the week kind of explain to some of the folks at home. These are things in the data world you've probably heard of, you've heard reference, but maybe you don't know exactly what it means. Um, Regression to the mean. That's what we're going to do today because I actually had someone ask a question about that one last week and I thought, ah, what a perfect first word to go, uh, Uh, topic to go with. I love it. I love Um, it. In the most basic sense, regression to the mean pretty much means that over a set of uh, occurrences of events, um, extreme outcomes are very likely to be followed by moderate ones and occasionally moderate ones, um, uh, you know, if they see an extreme one, will come back to the moderate level. What all that means is pretty much if you have some outliers, you're not always going to have a um, exact result every time things change. There are a lot of different factors, but as you go over time and you look at enough of these events, you take enough of the sample size, you're going to see that they start coming back towards what you would expect to happen. it, it, it pretty much it's going to say that the average is going to stay the average. Yes, there's going to be an outlier here and there, but mm-hmm. eventually things will come back to the average. That's what regression of the mean's all about. So as it relates to this baseball thing, what I'm kind of curious to see is I don't think we'll see much else in the postseason. Uh, again, the, given just who we're going to have probably in the World Series, either the Yankees or the Astros versus the Nationals. Right. It, both teams have, especially if it's Astros have some incredible pitchers. Um, so I'm not sure we're going to get much more data, but what I'd be curious to really see is if we start looking next year. Um, does those, those home run numbers continue to rise? Do they stay? What we, you know, has uh, with what we're seeing right now, this last season, are they closer to this postseason numbers? Um, what are we going to do? Is it going to regress to the mean overall? And by that we're saying, you know, go back to what it was, let's say two or three years ago, we've just had a couple outlier seasons or, has the mean actually changed? Has something changed? Cough, cough. The baseballs the baseball. cough. Um, to where we've actually set a new mean. So don't get confused with regression to the mean. Always being go back to the old average. Average has changed. Things change. What it's you expect point. to happen changes. Um, it's just saying that there's going to be outlier events. However, if everything's an outlier. Then those aren't actually outliers anymore. Yeah. So
1: yeah. Th- then you got to change your the paradigm, but with which you're thinking. I exactly. Suppose. Exactly. So. so what's interesting to me is that it, it seems beyond the shadow of a doubt that the ball is different at this point. The argument that you laid out. There's also an article on Beyond the Box Score, which is a great baseball blog if you're into that sort of thing uh, on SB Nation that kind of details that given the uh, given. I guess the circumstances around three different balls that were put in play between the Yankees and the Astros they had expecting the expected batting averages given the different factors like what you mentioned launch angle exit velocity all these things expected batting average of 900 870 and 740 and all three of those hits turned into outs
0: yep I saw that one too and it's it's
1: but the probability of that being 0.00338%
0: so when you're under a third of a percentage point yeah, that that that, that, that. It's not saying it can't happen. That number is not zero. We're not saying that this is 100% absolutely concrete evidence that Mm -hmm. something's going on. But um, we could probably sit up here for five hours listing these ridiculous stats, all of which have these um, just minuscule probabilities, and yet they're all happening. So... um, if it, you know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, good chance it's uh, <laughs> probably a duck. Well, so, we'll have uh, to keep people
1: updated on this, maybe yeah. as, the, as the postseason goes along, as we get into the World Series. Because you're right, there are some great arms, but it's when the ball gets put in play that you're really seeing the difference yep. in the numbers. So it's just something we'll have to keep an eye on. Uh, but unfortunately, we've got to move on from baseball because we need to talk a little building management yeah. because well and the thing that is interesting about all of this is that data and information and i think one of the things we want to show through this through this particular radio show it's just that the same numbers and some of the same data that you can take and apply to baseball can also be taken and applied in, you know, in a building management sense. It's about collecting good data and then applying it to real life applications. And so, just as much as that applies to baseball, it can also apply to what's going on in a building.
0: Absolutely, could not have said it better myself. And yeah, and we're gonna and Tyler pats himself on the back I over do, there quite strongly. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's again the cool thing is we talked about all this from a sports perspective, which some of our, you know, some of the listeners might really connect with that and really get into sports as much as you and I do. Um, but what's really cool is, yeah, yes, we're using different statistics and different analysis and all, but we're using the same general thing. And we're going to talk about now how building management is changing. Well, baseball and building management don't typically go together. Um, but um, one of the really cool things, I was reading a Prop Motto article recently, and it's about how AI and building management... Um, has in the last uh, even like six months that we're talking that short of a time frame really exploded and they view the uh, future of building management as incredibly closely tied with AI and machine learning. Um, Before we do that, I do want to take 30 seconds to do a little disclaimer here on something that I've done with many people here in the office and even in my personal life. Okay. I just said two words, um, two terms, AI and ML, artificial intelligence, machine learning. A lot of people use those interchangeably, continuously. Um, if you ask a random person on the street, they say, oh, yeah, we've had AI stuff for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, very quickly, just so everyone knows, there is a difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, a very big difference, actually. Um, we're not going to get into all the specifics. We, this isn't an AI ML uh, you know, radio show. But um, <laughs> what it boils down to is machine learning is the ability of humans to program a machine. To do, look for certain things, take in these factors, and adjust its own algorithm accordingly. And that's, and again, it's incredible technology. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. True artificial intelligence is something a little bit different. It's a, it's a step further. Um, it's the ability for maybe that machine to create the algorithm that originally identified this thing to make it better. Um, it's not simply just taking human inputs and then running them very effectively and then taking more and more data points to kind of optimize what has already been set up, sometimes it truly is developing the setup. It's identifying what should be set up or what should be looked at. Um, so uh, again, we, we can get deep into that some other time. I just wanted to point out, um, folks out there, go read some articles on the difference between AI and machine learning. That
1: is pretty I crucial. You.
0: Yes, it is, because again, frankly, I even use the terms interchangeably occasionally when I shouldn't do it. It's something, AI is kind of the flash term. It's what everyone, again, I call it, yeah. I'm saying machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence. I just say AI, because everyone knows that, knows what it is. Um, we all saw the Watson commercials a decade <laughs> ago, and that's just ingrained in our head. Um, but, but again, again,
1: roast Ken Jennings on uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that was a good one. And uh, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, but what we're talking about here let's get let's get back to building management yes. here. So, yes. um, with what we're looking at, this article is talking about how this AI boom in building management actually it touches a lot of different points, and I think this is very analogous to a lot of the industries, a lot of companies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but building management to me, for whatever reason, just stuck out because it's not one that if you had me list the top 10 industries that are gonna be impacted by AI in the next decade, uh, to be honest, building management probably isn't where my mind's going. But right. um, Building management has typically always had some pretty impressive softwares that are able to um, do a good job of with a lot of human inputs, capturing, managing things. Um, it's a kind of an organized industry. Maybe it's obviously a broad term, but it, it's something that um, there's already a lot of technology in play for it. However, Um, the ability to truly use artificial intelligence in it is something that I think is really interesting. And we're talking about, um, there's three kind of major things that this article talked about. One is computer-generated models. So whenever they're designing new plans, um, uh, kind of the architecture phase of it almost, um, the computer modeling to build lots of different um, configurations, different setups and stuff to identify not only from, let's say, the engineering side, the okay, well, we modeled these three different floor plans. How does, you know, weight distribution or uh, something like that, you know, um, impact or is impacted by each of these. Mm-hmm. Um, but also even things just like general floor spacing and all, how the, you know, human flow um, it would be interpreted in these different ones. And um, so the modeling aspect is one piece of it. Spatial recognition software, which is another piece of it, truly being able to understand the space, um, being able to use things like, you um, Uh, Virtual reality and um, the augmented reality. So where you walk into a massive empty, you know, uh, 20,000 foot um, warehouse, hold up your little camera, look around and projecting. Okay, here are the different configurations we can do. Here's the different things that we can take and do with this space. And then having the computer at the same time quickly digest. Um, are these things feasible? Is this, you know, effective for a building like this, things of that nature. Um, really interesting. And then the last one is the actual management of a lot of these properties. Right. One of the things they talked about, one of the biggest challenges in building management over the last few years, maybe in the last decade is lease terms getting shorter and shorter and shorter, um, things like WeWork, for instance, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's one that we, everyone knows. And uh, we will use that as a common example, even though it uh, maybe it's the lazy way out here, but, um, <laughs> uh, with things like that more and more available, less companies are relying on permanent space. You know, they're not leasing for an office for 10 years necessarily. It's, yeah, well, you know, we just need this office for a week. So we are going to use WeWork. Okay. Maybe we're going to have something for a year here, but you know, companies are much more dynamic, kind of fast paced than they used to be. Maybe they're not making those long term commitments. So right. building managers and building management companies are having to take a more proactive, careful calculated approach to these um, to make sure they know what leases are coming up, when they need to start selling to new people. Um, uh, you know, empty space sitting there is costing them money. They have to avoid that. They have to find a way to do that. So one of the things that AI has actually been a real big breakthrough for them is taking all the KPIs and taking all this data from existing leases, from existing agreements, from even things like um, feedback they're getting from those clients on their you know, uh, overall experience with the uh, space that they've leased, Right. Um, is taking that, analyzing it, building its own algorithms to kind of analyze the likelihood of them re-signing that lease, of them leaving the space, of them potentially signing a longer lease. And it's almost, I saw this one that it literally gave a little distribution of like 20% chance they jump ship, 40% that they do the exact same thing, 30 that they sign up for twice as long and 30 that they sign on for 10 plus years. Or it was something like that. And it was like, well, that's really cool. If you're a building management, you know, kind of professional and you have this massive industrial space that you're worried about leasing out, wouldn't it be awesome that not only does this computer tell you that, hey, all these are coming up again, maybe that's been there for a while, but more likely, hey, these three right here, these are your risky ones. These are the ones that you need to, A, go talk with them immediately, maybe, you know, kiss up a little bit, try and uh, send them some nice cookies or something, um, get them to come back or more realistically, probably go start finding the next company to fill that space because it's a good chance that someone's going to jump ship here. And that's pretty dang cool that a software is able to do all of this. And then your job is just to say, got it, let's go make it happen.
1: Yeah, you. You. it's your job then to manage those relationships, to take the insight that it's giving you and then go do your best with that information. And any building manager will tell you that empty space is money that's just being wasted. It's yep. just going down the drain. And so, in the end, this is really just uh, done, I think, with the the goal and the emphasis to help save money and to build efficiency.
0: Yeah, and yeah. again, and uh, pretty much my my biggest takeaway from this would be, and kind of encourage you guys to think about um, every industry is being affected by technology, the capture, utilization, analysis of data. Um, A lot of people still like to think, oh, well, yeah, that affects blah, blah, blah over there, but not us. We're, you know, we we do it different. We've done it for 50 years this way. It's coming. It's changing. And the companies that are willing to not only understand this, learn about it, employ people who can take action upon this stuff, um, but also, frankly, predict that a lot of these, what the next waves of technology and implementation are um, and incorporate those are going to be the ones in 10 or 15 years leading the pack. Um, the old ways are only going to be able to hold on for so long. So make sure you're looking at it.
1: I I 100% agree. And we need to move to our final topic, which kind of takes a look at exactly what you're talking about, but maybe in a different industry.
0: Yeah. And this is one. So again, economics background, that's what, you know, my degree is in and all. Um, So uh, the financial markets are something I kind of pay attention to. Um, again, I am not a day trader, I am not a finance expert, I am not claiming to be, however, I thought this tied in perfectly with our building management piece, and it is how AI is impacting um, the rise of financial machines. It's actually in an Economist article. Um, by the way, we've talked in the past about great resources, highly encourage anyone who's even semi-interested in anything related to economics, get an Economist subscription, one yeah. of the best magazines out there, love it. But um, something I was reading, it was doing this a little bit of an analysis of, okay, so what is going on with AI and the implementation of it within the financial uh, markets, within security exchanges, things like that. Um, some general numbers here, 35% of the stock market um, the American stock markets are actively managed only by com- machines and 60% of all trade activities are a hundred percent machine. So that's kind of crazy. Let's just it, literally that first stat step back a second, more than half of trading activity is done by machines. Now, again, if you're in that market, that's probably not shocking news to you sure. from someone like me, who's a little bit outside, who maybe almost had too much of an old school thought process around this of. When I think of trades, I think of the typical, you know, Wall Street movie scene, yeah, five hundred guys on right? the floor. Like, <laughs> I wanna sell them. Yeah, sell, yeah. sell, buy, 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 sell, sell. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and I'm sure some of that's you know some of that's still going on in some capacity. However, um in ten, fifteen years, I don't think that floor exists. I don't think that role exists because right. Everything is going to be done by machines even if it's not done by machines at the very least it's being done electronically remotely through mm-hmm. algorithms with a person only kicking the final confirm button on their computer right um, And so uh, that's that blew my mind first off again maybe maybe that's just ignorance on my part but that one caught me off guard um, and one of the things the article talked about how AI is now not only, performing these actions, doing the management piece of it, or I should say machine learning or machines of some capacity are. Yeah. Um. But AI is actually now writing new investment rules. It's looking at new strategies. It's building. Previously it was, you know, human setup rules, computer executed rules. Mm. So if this goes above this, you do this, this goes below that, you do that, that kind of thing. Now it's taken a step forward where the computer is literally identifying its own kind of KPIs, for lack of a better term, identifying new trends and new patterns, building new algorithms um, without any human intervention whatsoever, and then running through all these different new things that thought up and identifying, okay, which of these is working, which is not, and continuously optimizing that. That's kind of crazy because – Wow. And, and something as, frankly, as kind of complex and um, fast-paced as the you know, financial markets – Um, Something like that's a pretty big game changer. Uh, Like you said, the difference between um, having to call a guy or send an email or send a piece of mail across town to get your broker to trade something, that's long gone. We know that. However, even the ability – you don't have the ability to react quick enough before this machine has produced this algorithm, decided what it's going to do, and executed it. That's- yes,
1: that's what's particularly you know fascinating to me about this is we already know that the strongest the fastest the best computers in the world can accomplish you know, so many tasks per second, you know, and I, I don't even know what the number is, but it's beyond what I'm going to be able to do. I can tell you that I can barely string sentences together. <laughs> so, uh, which for a radio host is probably not the best thing. But uh, so we we already know that it has that kind of capability, but I think that the ability for it to learn and then set new parameters and set new guidelines for itself based on the information that it receives is what's particularly interesting because that was the big advantage for human beings, right? The fact that we could receive new information and take all of these different factors into account and kind of balance what we believe to be true. But now if computers are also able to do that without humans having to go and tell it these things, then that's probably a whole new world, right?
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, and actually that's a perfect segue to two other things I want to touch on. One is, okay, well, what what's the downside here? What are the risks here? Um, and the other is, okay, well... There's still a lot of people in this economy that have a job that relies on these kind of activities and stuff. So if right. you're telling me machines are taking over, well, what are the companies going to do? Um, again, I'm not an expert at forecasting what financial management firms are going to do by any means. But one thing that's been interesting, as we've seen this, again, the economist article was talking about how um, even though this has been kind of a you know slow progression, we're starting to hit a little bit of an exponential curve here. We're really starting to take off with the utilization of this around the same time. You've noticed a lot of fr- um, the big uh, companies, the Fidelity's E-Trades, um, Charles Schwab are all eliminating their trade commissions. Um, whenever you make a trade, you're no longer paying for it, it's free. Um, they're providing you with more and more and more tools and information to do a lot of this on your own. Um, what they're trying to probably do, in my opinion, is use this information, still leave you know, keep something proprietary to their company, whether it's their platform or their other resources that they have. Um, but I think that that might be a little bit of an acknowledgement that, Hey, things are changing and we're going to have to adapt. It's not going to be the same way it used to. Again, you, you, all those commercials that probably annoy all of us on TV of the one guy, you know, are you asking the right questions? You know, why is, what are you doing with my money? And all that, those are all, I think those are the Charles Schwab ones I'm talking about, but, uh, um, those are all like, okay, so they're taking this next step. But I think what they're also saying with these rate cuts and things like that is, we recognize that in five or 10 years, a company like ours in you know, the, the way we're structured today, the way we operate today probably isn't going to be necessary or needed. Someone can probably buy a software program at home, develop it. You know, obviously you still need the ability to actually uh, get on those exchanges, buy, sell, yeah. so on and so forth, yeah. but someone's going to do it cheaper than we are probably. So what can we do now to kind of get ahead of that? So anyway, a little bit of a tangent, but ties in with something again, just saw that Fidelity did it. I think yesterday they got rid of their, uh, those trade commissions. So uh, topical um, the, really though uh, the other thing that interests me is, okay, what's the downside to this? What yeah. are the risk of this? Right, right. Um, something that that economist article mentioned, and I found a couple other things that kind of back this up and kind of express concern around it, are the risk of flash crashes, which is one of the terms they have, which um, are not major financial crises like, you know, uh, back uh, a decade ago or anything like that. But there are these certain markets and there's certain little things that have had these very drastic dips that okay. some people have pointed the finger to machines. And the reason for that is people are concerned that certain machines can either distort asset prices or even maybe they look for a very specific characteristic. This machine has now developed an algorithm that, hey, I just realized that looking back historically, X, whatever this little X variable is here, that's my go-to. I'm really gonna use the heck out of that yeah. thing. However, um, if, so they you know, if X is above, you know, I'm just gonna make something up, X is above two, we're gonna buy. If X is below two, we're gonna sell. Um, Now that characteristic might be important and it might have aligned, but it also might not. It might be a little bit random, something kind of out there. Um, So those machines might be, have programmed themselves and taught themselves that once that gyps below two, I'm gonna sell, sell, sell. And something happens um, in the market that causes that to go. And all of a sudden, all these machines have taught themselves that it's time to dump like crazy. And you see this little flash crash, this little like, drop out before, you know, maybe there's a human intervention or maybe the machines just kind of recognize what's going on and correct themselves again. But um, there's not a human element there for someone to say, hold on guys, let's think about this, which maybe that's where that human element still is absolutely necessary. Again, even as advanced as machines are, one of the biggest challenges with technology is still having it truly think for itself and not get too um, tied to a single logic tree for lack of a better term. So it's interesting to think about, you know, okay, well, it could impact stuff like that. Um, there also is a uh, kind of a concern out there about could this lead to a concentration of wealth? If you have the best platforms and the best tools and the best technology, could you gain the system for lack of a better term sure. and get it, you know, an unfair competitive advantage, which uh, we're not here to argue the merits of capitalism and competitive advantage. <laughs> we're not going to go down that path. Right. Um, but uh, one other little thing, last little thing I'll mention on this one before we wrap it up. Um, is the importance of proprietary data here? And that's one that kind of stuck with me. There's not, um, out there online, there's a lot of, you know, community or publicly available information and data, but proprietary data is still absolutely a thing. So, I, what I want you to just, the one little use case to think about this with, they mentioned was Amazon and e commerce data. There is no one, maybe outside Alibaba, um, that has as much data and information on e commerce purchases, how people use those, how people, Do or do not make purchase decisions um, as Amazon. Amazon has all that data. Amazon's a very big data company. Uh, Bezos comes from a data, you know, kind of quant background. So um, you know that they have all that and they're using it in some ways. We've touched even on other um, podcasts about, you know, their algorithms and all. But think about if they, from a macro perspective, started analyzing e commerce markets and were able to make. Um, mm-hmm. Some significant findings about the way e-commerce buyers are changing, mm-hmm. how much they could impact a market, or they realize that, hey, maybe it's even, hey, ooh, this is going to hurt Amazon. We realize that X, Y, Z is happening. We're going to change our model um, and get ahead of this when no other company even knows what's going on. Right. Um, it's, again, it's, it's their proprietary data. So what could that lead to? If this isn't publicly available, does it, again, does that slide us more towards this concentration of wealth thing or – Again, these are all huge topics that we could talk for forever about, but just all things to think about. There's some really, really interesting stuff going on, whether it's in baseball stats, whether it's in building management, AI, or even, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning within the financial markets and um, economy. All of these things incorporate data and technology, and it's really interesting to see where they're going.
1: I totally agree, and the example that you brought up just kind of of those little mini crashes, uh, the mini dips, uh, it reminds me of the conversation people have about self-driving vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, will the vehicle, like, in order to avoid three pedestrians in the middle of the road, will it swerve and hit you into a light pole? Because it is, like, brutally, it's brutally logical, right? I will save three lives, and I will sacrifice yours almost. I will sacrifice the market, you know, in the case of the the, the mini crashes. I will sacrifice, you know, the market because I have been told that at all costs I have to make the right decision. Yes. As opposed to the larger governor where it is almost humanity that says at times, look, I understand this is probably better for me personally or the right move, but also I understand that, like, we might not have a stock market if we all do this at the exact same time. So there are those kinds of governors that – might not exist at this point, or that that we need to consider before it's just like all the machines are running stuff, and we're just gonna sit back and drink lattes.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, Irish up that latte for me there, but um, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, hey, uh, the machine's driving me right. So right, exactly. Um, no, but anyway, uh, that you make an excellent point. Yes, is that um, again? Typically, the data guy would be sitting here telling you that nope, you know, uh, you know, just straight logic, straight numbers. To let the data tell you. Um, And I think it's an important reminder that there still very much is a human element, a um, emotional element, I don't know if that's the right term, a a, um, something that requires that extra touch that machines still have not perfected, at least not at scale, um, that's necessary. And frankly, I think there's a lot of things that will never get there. And that's okay, Um, that's that's what a consciousness provides us that machines don't have, you know? Yeah. Um, Because you're absolutely right. Uh, There is a time and place when understanding that Yes. Rule. I have one rule. My rule is do X when Y happens. Well, yes, that is true. But when Y happens for some incredibly bizarre out of the box scenario that, you know, is, has, you know, significant ramifications down the line, yada, yada, yada. Occasionally you need someone to say, Oh, tap the brakes a little bit here. Let's, 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 let's be a little more, you know, a little more thoughtful with this. Maybe even if it's not pure, um, you know, data programmed logic.
1: Absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, TC Riley, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, episode of Diving Into Data.
0: This is fun. Uh, we'll uh, let's do it again soon. We will that? do
1: it again soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our first live edition of Diving Into Data. We'll be back in a week, maybe two weeks. We'll keep you updated on that with another episode of Diving Into Data with TC Riley. But I'm Tyler Kern. TC Riley. And we'll see you again soon.
0: You are listening to MarketScale, the leader in B2B content creation.